Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, the show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, welcome back to our uh, podcast. We're glad that you're tuning back in because that means you're reading the Bible and you want to find out more about what you're reading. Peanut butter balls. Peanut butter balls. Yeah, that's what you're reading about. That's, I'm, I mean, that's what translation top of mine right now. Are you using again? The sanctified version. Okay. ESV. All right. Uh, no, peanut butter balls. Yeah, we just had a, a visitor from California who brought us one of our favorite treats from back in Compass AV, uh, Sheree Clark's peanut butter balls. They have been one of my favorite things and one of the things that I have long lamented the loss of, yeah. when I calculated the cost of moving, I did not anticipate how greatly that would weigh upon me. Yep. Yeah. Because I thought about them. Yep. I, I, we, as we were, you were saying to, uh, to Natalie, uh, who, who, who delivered said peanut butter balls, that we saw them on Facebook recently and maybe a little bit of envy and jealousy arose in my heart. Yeah. You had your resignation letter typed up and you were ready to, to go back. Ready to go back to California. Talked you down off the ledge. I was like, it's okay. It was rough. And then look, the Lord, the Lord rewarded Man, your patience. A ram in the thicket. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I guess so. Yeah, you may be wondering what in the world are peanut butter balls. It's uh, well, it's what it sounds like. I mean, they're, they're chocolate peanut butter balls. Yeah, they are That's balls of, of peanut butter dipped in chocolate, and they are as delightful and as delectable yes. as you can imagine. Yes. Do you share? <sighs> Sometimes. Okay. It depends. It depends. If uh, if if we've had a lot of sugar, I take the hit for the family. And I say, you know what? Probably not best for you guys to have this right now. <laughs> I will have to take care of these on my own. <laughs> let me let me do this for you. Let me take it. Yeah, of course. Of course. I want to share. Okay. Um, they yeah, we do. I uh, I share with my wife. Yeah. I mean that makes sense. But that's about it. You know, it's okay, so here's the thing though. Like when you have something really high quality and you're like, you you know the value of the thing. I feel like it's almost wasted when you give it to a kid who's like, oh, this tastes like chocolate cereal to me. They, they notice no difference. It's like giving a $100 steak to one of your youngest kids. It doesn't make sense. Right. It's like you're going you're gonna to enjoy a hamburger more than you would enjoy the steak. So I'm not going to give you the steak. Right. Here, here is a, here's a chocolate kiss, a Hershey's kiss instead of this peanut butter ball. Right. Yeah. No, that's fair. Yeah. Or like here's a Reese's peanut butter cup. Yeah. It's the same idea. Same concept. Yeah. They're going to love it just as much, if not more so. Yeah. So there you go. Um, so thank you, Natalie, for bringing it over. Thank you, Cherie, for making them. We miss you guys. We, we miss you more than, than, the, than the, the candy, but we also really appreciate the candy. The, the candy's good. The candy's we good. We appreciate that very yeah. much. Thank you. So we've got chocolate peanut butter balls on the brain. Yep, we do. And a ram in a thicket, which is uh, going to come up in our DBR reading today. So That was a good transition, wasn't it? Take your Bibles. It was. Thank you for that. Uh, take your Bibles and flip over to, to uh, or open or search or scroll or tap over to Genesis chapter 22. Okay, I'm there. Okay. Genesis 22. Now what? Uh, we are reading about, you'll, the, the ESV titles this, The Sacrifice of Isaac. And incorrect. It's, it is incorrect because Isaac is not actually sacrificed. He's, he foreshadows. He is offered. He's a type. But he's not sacrificed. He's offered, yeah. That's right, true. right. So uh, I, I titled it Isaac Offered rather than Isaac Sacrificed because of, uh, of what plays out. Spoiler alert, uh, he doesn't actually kill his son in here. But this is, this is intense, what we read about in here. And we read about it knowing the outcome of the story. And so I think maybe it, it loses some of its impact. But essentially, God puts Abram to the test here um, 
to see if he really does trust him. And uh, Abraham demonstrates his fear of the Lord by obeying to the point of, yeah, he binds his son and lays him on the altar and takes up the knife when God finally stops him and provides the substitute. But uh, this is God's test. And in response to his faithful obedience, Abraham's faithful obedience, Abraham is, is blessed by God. Now, when it says tests in verse one, uh, this is a test of worthiness, not a test looking to make him fail. It's not as though God is like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to try to trip Abraham, Abraham up. I'm going to try to make Abraham fail. This is a test in, in the sense of trying to produce that, that revelation of Abraham's character and his faith in God, not, not something where God is vindictively trying to, to mess. Abraham up. Right. Right. But think about the white space. I've always been in awe of the white space between verses two and three, that, that space that we don't have recorded for us because Abraham is told by God, commanded by God, take your son, your only son whom you love and offer him in the land of Moriah. By the way, the land of Moriah, this is Jerusalem uh, and offer him there as a burnt offering. Okay. And then it says in verse three, so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son, Isaac, that night between verses two and verse, my kids have been sick recently overnight. And and even just when my kids are sick overnight, I don't sleep well as a dad. I'm sitting there going, man, I I don't love uh, the fact that my kids don't feel good. I can't imagine the white space between verses two and three, what Abraham must've been wrestling with as, as he considered what God was asking him to do here. Um, but he wakes up and he does take his child, his only child, the, the son whom he loves, as the text says, and he goes to Moriah. Now, uh, how do we know Moriah is Jerusalem? Well, Second Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1 uh, tells us this because in Second Chronicles 3, 1, it says, Solomon began to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to David, uh, and so forth and so on. So uh, Mount Moriah is this place. And if you go to Israel today, this is where the Dome of the Rock is currently uh, placed and, and the reason why it's called the Dome of the Rock is because they believe this is the rock where Abraham offered in the Islamic view. Again, like we talked about last time, not Isaac, but Ishmael. Well, as Christians, we think, no, this is the rock where he offered Isaac because that's what scripture says. Anyways, uh, he goes, he tells his servants in, uh, I think, a statement of faith, which the writer of Hebrews uh, affirms that he and the boy are going to go worship and then come back. So even in that statement, we see from Abraham an anticipation that God is not going to have him execute a son, or as the writer of Hebrews said, that he had a faith that even if he did kill him, that God would bring him back to life for him. Uh, Again, because he was trusting in the promises of God, uh, part of the faith that was credited to Abraham as righteousness. But he goes and, uh, and you probably know the rest of the story, God stops him and there is a ram in the thicket that is provided as that substitutionary sacrifice for Isaac. So, uh, Pastor Rod, talk to us a little bit about the cross as we see it evidenced here in this uh, in this story of Abraham and Isaac. Man, this is rich in chapter 22 of Genesis. Perhaps we should start, first of all, with noticing here that in verse 2, um, Isaac is called your son, your only son. Now, we know Abraham actually doesn't only have one son. This is not technically true. He has more than one son. In fact, we just got done talking about Ishmael, so certainly there's at least one more, and there's perhaps many more. Um, that are not mentioned, but he identifies Isaac in particular and pr- because of his uniqueness, his, the role. He is the promised one. He is unique, he is precious, and therefore he is especially valuable. So we're not talking about number here as much as we're talking about the value behind that, which of course points us to God's only son. Um, is, does God have more than one son? Well, the answer is no. Um, not in the technical sense. Jesus is the only begotten of God. He is the precious one. He is the unique one. He is the one to whom God uh, gives his special 
uh, his special favor and attention to. But of course, there's many sons. Jesus is the firstborn of many sons. We're now sons of God, daughters of God, if you're a female. And so you see, even at the beginning here, who this points to. Of course, you know, the father sacrifices the son, or at least almost sacrifices the son here in, in Abraham's account, but in, in the gospel account, the father does not stay his hand. He takes it all the way, and he pours out the full wrath upon Jesus. So Jesus is pictured as the ram in the thicket. He is the one that God will ultimately use to substitute for every human being who would ever live. That's, that's why in this text, you have such an interesting contrast. Why would God, the God who never asks for human sacrifice in all of the Bible, why would he ask for a human sacrifice here? And the reason why is because he's painting a picture that he would ultimately fulfill in the New Testament. He's crafting an image for the kind of action that he himself would take on behalf of his people. So Genesis 22, supremely important because of what it ultimately points to. You have the type found in Isaac, you have the antitype or its fulfillment and completion found in Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Super helpful. Uh, verses 16 through 18, it, it, we read here, uh, because you have done this verse 16, not withhold your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And again, we talked about this in the last episode. Is this covenant that God gives to Abraham conditional because there do appear to be conditions like this. And again, we would say, no, it's not conditional because when the covenant was originally cut, when the covenant was originally made between God and Abraham, there were no conditions provided in that granting of the covenant. This rather is the reassurance of because of Abraham's obedience, Yahweh is faithful. He will provide what he told Abraham he would provide. And in verse 18, you get the the, the gospel uh, echo again with the promise that in, in the offspring of Abraham shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Genesis 12, 3, Genesis 22, 18, uh, two key promises there that have a lot to do with you and I as Gentiles, as non-Jews, where we stand because we're thankful that it was in one of his offspring in Jesus, the ram in the thicket, that all of the nations, including us today, would be blessed through that descendant of Abraham there. In chapter 23, then we get into a a sad scene. Uh, Sarah, Abraham's other beloved, uh, dies in chapter 23. And uh, Sarah is a a unique woman in scripture because she is the only one. And I didn't realize this, Pastor Rod, until doing this study. She's the only woman in scripture that's given a, a span of life. Yeah. And She's uh, unique, man. yeah, shows her Princess the, Sarah. the honor that she is given and, and attributed by uh, God and, uh, and by Moses as Moses is recording these things. Remember, Moses is the author here as we're uh, reading all of these things. Moses authored the first five books of the Bible. And so he is the one recording these things. But Sarah dies and uh, Abraham goes to bury her. And uh, this whole encounter in chapter 23 between Abraham and the Hittites um, is more than just about a, a burial place. This is a reminder to the reader that God was going to give this whole land that Abraham found himself in as a possession to Abraham's offspring. And so Abraham is in effect purchasing what he already has by divine promise. And so there's this weird back and forth between Abraham and the Hittites there. And they're like, well, we're just going to give it to you. And Abraham says, no, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to buy it from you. And, and in part, because the Hittites didn't really want a foreigner to own a part of their land. They didn't want to cede any of their property to anyone and, and give up the, the, the rights to any of their property. And Abraham saying, no, it's important that I own this, that this is part of God's promises. He going to provide this land. And so uh, the burial plot for him or for his wife, that will also become the burial plot for himself. He wants to, he wants to own that. And so they, they negotiate, they haggle back and forth. Eventually Abraham ends up uh, paying for the land, perhaps even overpaying for the land when we consider the, the, the cost in, in Ephron, the shrewd businessman. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, When you think that the land that the temple was built by David was, or by Solomon was, was bought by David for 50 shekels. And this guy's like, you can have my cave for 400 shekels. It seems a little, I think he was trying to 
persuade him not to. Right. You know, well, what's what's ten million dollars for this uh, for this four hundred square foot office space? Right. Okay. Right. Deal. He's underestimating Abraham's wealth. Abraham reaches into his pocket, grabs out the four hundred shekels, yeah, and, and does the deal. Is that yeah. it? Let is me that all you write, got? Let me, okay. Yeah. Here's fifty cents. Well, as the the uh, the story moves on in chapter twenty four, you get. Um, Abraham older now and he has this son Isaac and he knows that God has promised that it would be through Isaac that the offspring would continue to multiply the problem is Isaac doesn't have a wife and uh, Abraham wanted to make sure that that Isaac married well and didn't marry from one of the Canaanites and so he has his servant go off to uh, his kinsman to find a wife for Isaac and so that's exactly what happens and this kinsman comes back with Rebecca and Isaac ends up going into marrying Rebecca and it even says in the text that he was comforted in the loss of his mother uh, by this marriage that he has here to Rebecca but chapter 24 is just another reminder of God God's continued provision of the fulfillment of his covenant, because without Rebecca, there is no, uh, there is no covenant. There are, there are no more offspring there, <laughs> there. There's nothing else left there. And so, uh, you have a situation where God shows up faithful again to his people and to his promise and to his covenant in Genesis chapter 24. I think that one of the differences here between Isaac and Rebecca is that you see, uh, I mean, there's not a lot about Isaac. And when you look at the life of Abraham and you look at the life of Jacob, there's much more content about them. Isaac's just kind of sandwiched in the middle here. Yeah. And there's not much that we gather from. Even this, even the end of chapter 24, where it says that he was meditating in the field toward the evening. The word under underneath meditate is is a word that's often called a, a hapax legomena. It's a word that's only used once in the Bible. And therefore, it's hard to discern exactly what the word means. And so most most translators are going to are going to uh, side on the term uh, on the word meditate. But another word could be walking in the field. He was just hanging out. Uh, it's, it's we don't have a lot of information about Isaac is what I'm saying. And even some of the stuff that we do have is like, oh, interesting. I wonder if he was meditating or if he was just hanging out in the field. We don't know. Yeah. All that to say, though, what you do see in Isaac's life, I think, is is faithfulness. It's stability. And man, I think I think the family needed that. Granted, there's there's some stuff in his life, like anyone's life, but the 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 story here is as idealistic as as it's ever going to be in Abraham's family tree. Lots of tumult, lots of twists and turns, but Isaac kind of gives you a breath of fresh air. It's like God is saying, "Hey, let me just give you guys a break. We're just going to give you a, a pretty calm, a calm transitional period." And I appreciate that. It's helpful yeah. because you see some stability in their life. I like that. Yeah, because it's about to get pretty dysfunctional pretty quickly. Yeah, it gets ugly. It sure yeah. does, and this is helpful. My biggest question, though, Pastor Rod, is uh, Genesis chapter 24, verse 22. When you first saw Kristen, did you give her a gold nose ring as a symbol of your affection? Yes. Did you? It was quite thick, too. Yeah, it was, was it? Yeah, it was okay. about two pounds. <laughs> shaped yeah. with a donut. Things, uh, cultures are different, right? We read things in the Bible, and it's just sometimes it's just a funny reminder of like, man, things are so different, which should remind us that should the Lord tarry and not return before then people are going to look back generations from now at what we do as symbols of our affection. You'd be like, can you believe they used to do this? Can you believe they used to, to pick mm. plants and bring them to their, <laughs> to their wives and think that that would make their wives happy or whatever. Um, so just some humor there as we, as we read the, well, we still give a ring. We just put it on their finger instead of their nose, instead of the nose. So that's it's, true. It's still there. There's that's some continuity. True. Although some ladies have the nose ring. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, yeah. I don't know if they exchange that in terms of like, hey, let's be married. Here's a nose ring for you. But they do have them. Yeah. I'm not, yeah, I'm not full blown covenantalist. I don't think it's all one picture and it's flattened the, the continuity, but there's clearly some continuity. Things that just kind of never change. I think girls, the smells, right? Smells are a thing. People, yep. girls still like smelling good. Yep. Not that he gave her any of that, but still. 
Yeah, I, I, yeah, I have, I have a daughter, and uh, if a guy comes in and gives her a nose ring to ask her to marry him, I think I'm gonna have to step in as her dad. And what if he quotes Genesis 24 though, and he's like, "Sir, Pastor PJ, Doctor Pastor PJ, I'm quoting Genesis 24 here." We're gonna sit down and have a talk about dispensationalism. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anyways, uh, hey, keep reading your Bibles. We're grateful for you guys tuning in again today, and uh, we will be back tomorrow with the dysfunction beginning with the uh, continuation of the story of a little bit more about Abraham, I guess, first, and then we'll get into Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, and Esau as we keep reading. So join with us. Keep reading your Bibles. See you then. Bye. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast.